Well, we're going to start really praying about where to go. And, and at the time, I, I felt the Lord lay this in my heart. Uh, we were still having just live uh, services, no in-person services. But uh, I think I want to move forward with that. And I've talked to Pastor Jay about it, so he'll be helping me as we teach through this series. But Jesus, in the book of John, there were seven statements that Jesus made about himself. Some people, you might call these the I am statements. But as you read through the book of John, there's seven distinct things Jesus said about himself. There's actually more than seven because some were said two or three at a time. But basically, he said, I am the bread of life. Uh, he said that I am uh, the resurrection and the life. I am the light. I am the way, the truth, and the light. life. That I am the true vine. And so if you look through John 6, John 8, John 10, I'm the door, I'm the good shepherd. So there's all these things that Jesus says. So I just want to take a week and kind of touch on each one, and we'll just, uh, we'll just teach through that. At the end of today, we are going to, uh, we're going to take communion. So you have your communion on your seat. If you're at home, I invite you to get some communion elements, some kind of juice, some kind of bread, uh, and we'll take communion. Uh, so today's text is going to be John chapter 6, verses 25 through 35. And I just want to say thank you to David Smith. If you go to the, the, the opening on the PowerPoint, David made the slides for me. I'm not that good. Uh, mine just look uses this like blank canvas with some words on it. But, but he did. Isn't that great? Let's give David a hand. David does a lot of things that, uh, that people aren't aware of. So thank you, David, for that. Chapter 6, verses 25 through 35 will be the main text. We'll kind of, we'll go a couple different places from there. But I'm excited today that it's, uh, Jesus said, I am the bread of life. And aside from be Jesus being the bread of life, I, I personally just love bread. Like, can I get an amen for bread? Right? I, I'm a meat eater. I love meat. And what goes better with meat, not vegetables, but bread. I love bread. See, I love all kinds of bread. I love, yeah, like pumpernickel bread, and I love rye bread, and I love my mom. When I was a kid, my mom made this thing called monkey bread. Anybody ever monkey? It's like all twisted together. I like cinnamon rolls. That's, that's bread, right? Cinnamon rolls. Pretzels. That's bread. I love a pizza. Pizza dough. Good bread. So when my wife and I, we, we do travel a good bit. And when we travel, especially out of the country, we try to sample things from, from uh, different countries, you know, to get a flavor for the country, to kind of dive into their culture. And a few years ago, the first time that we were in Israel, we're in the city of Jerusalem, and we are walking through downtown Jerusalem, and if you haven't been there, it's very old, cobblestone streets, and they still kind of do things a lot of the ways they did them, you know, 1,000 or 2,000, 3,000 years ago. So as we're walking through the streets of Jerusalem, here's a, here's a street vendor selling bread. Now, they don't have food trucks. And this isn't a guy working from a food truck. And, and, and I doubt that there was any CDC guidelines on safe handling of bread. Uh, so here he is out on the street, and he has a wheelbarrow, right? And it's not even a wheelbarrow like we have. It's just a piece of wood with a, a front piece and a, a flat piece and two handles and a wheel. And probably in Hebrew, he's saying, hold, fresh bread, fresh bread, fresh bread. And we're like, and it's morning, 
and you could see the steam coming off the bread. So it's fresh. And there's really nothing better than just a good slab of butter on some hot bread, right? He's walking, fresh bread, fresh bread in Hebrew. And, you know, I don't speak Hebrew, but, you know, we, we go over and we figure out how much it is. And we buy this piece of bread and, oh, was it good. So, you know, I had to fight my wife off because she was trying to steal the bread. But, you know, I, I did give her a bite or two, and she liked it too. And so she was like, you know, we're probably, we may never be back here again. Next time we see that guy, later today, if we see him, we need to buy another piece of bread. Like, you're right. So we kind of go to a few shops, do a little bartering, you know, they have a little market section there. And then about an hour later, we see the guy. He's walking. I was like, oh, the bread guy. The bread guy. That's good. And all of a sudden, he starts doing this. Now, now he wasn't going into shock, but he's getting ready to release a sneeze. Like, that, that must, I think it came from Saudi Arabia all the way to Israel. And it was. Achoo! And it was one of those sneezes where you could just see the droplets of snot as they just kind of floated it all down over the bread. And then there was a hanger. So, of course, it's... Fresh bread! Fresh bread! I looked there, I was like, ain't no way I'm getting that bread now. Uh, that was probably the only time I ever turned down bread. But I love bread, just not when it sneezed on. Uh, one time we were in, uh, I thought of this, we were in Africa one time, and we prayed, went, and then breakfast is kind of like a buffet in Africa. And they had basically had banana bread, and there's not a whole lot, but they had banana, huh? Plantains and banana bread. That's about breakfast. So whenever she gets hers, I go back, and she, uh, I come back to the table, and she hears me praying in the spirit under, under my breath. And, of course, she didn't want to ask. But so later she goes, we already prayed for the food. Why were you praying in the spirit when you came back from the table? I said, well, I didn't want to tell you, but there was a cockroach about that big <laughs> running all over the banana bread. <laughs> and that's the only one I could see. So I just wanted to cover it in prayer, and even how I didn't know how to pray, I just wanted that thing blessed, right? <laughs> so I said, you're all good. It's, you know, Jesus took care of it. He says, even when we don't know how to pray, the Spirit makes intercession for us with words that cannot be uttered. So. All right, well, let's talk about bread. I want, I want to tell you three things, three points today I want to read to you in this passage. Uh, we're, going, we're going to read it, and then we're going to talk about living bread, Number one, living bread. Number two, speaking bread. And number three, healing bread. Living bread, speaking bread, and healing bread. Father, we just ask you right now that you would minister this word as it's needed in each life. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so let's read John chapter 6, verses 20, 25 to 35. Now, let me give a little, just before I start, I'll give a little context. This takes place in the town of Capernaum, which was really Jesus' home base, if you will. So he was born, grew up in Nazareth, kind of kicked out of Nazareth. He makes Capernaum kind of his home base for his ministry. 
And he does a lot of miracles there, does a lot of teaching there. He teaches regularly in the synagogue there. And if you read all the way to verse 59 in Luke's, or John chapter 6, you're going to see that all these things that we're going to talk about took place as he was teaching in the synagogue at Capernaum. Now, just for a time frame, this took place the very next day after Jesus fed the 5,000. So if you remember at the first part of John chapter 6, you can also find this in the other Gospels, Jesus feeds the 5,000. Uh, ironically, this whole passage is about bread, right? He feeds the 5,000 plus women and children. Could have been as many as 20,000 people. He feeds them with five loaves of bread and two small fish. And after, after that day, they're so excited about Jesus, they want to make him king. They're going to crown him king. He says, i got to slip out of here because my time's not come yet. And he goes up in the mountains to pray. The disciples leave. And you remember, they get stuck on the Sea of Galilee in the mid-middle of the night. He comes to them walking on the sea, and then they end up on the other side of the shore the next, right away, it says, immediately. And they end up in Capernaum on the opposite side. So the people wake up that are still on the, on the other side of the shore the next day, and they're looking for Jesus. They're looking for this man that just took five loaves of bread, two small fish, broke them, passed them out to the disciples. They passed them out to us. All 5,000 to 20,000 people ate, were filled, and then they collected up 12 basketfuls left over. So you remember that story, right? This is the next day. It also tells us that in, in the story about the loaves and the fish, it says the time of Passover was near or was nigh. So it's very close to the time of Passover. This is not the Passover that took place at the Last Supper. That would be one year later. So there was a whole other year. So from John 6 all the way to John 13, that's a, that Passover is a year later. But it's about two to two and a half years into Jesus' ministry. There's one year left, this Passover, the next Passover. Of course, he's going to die on the following Passover. So that just gives you just a little context, timeline about where we're at. So we're not at the beginning of his ministry. We're not at the very end. And just, you know, when you read the Gospels, if you read the book of John, which I'd encourage you to do, really the book of John, for the most part, just deals with, you know, the last, really the bulk of it's the last year of his ministry, and mostly of its entirety is just his three years of ministry. So doesn't deal a lot with him growing up, doesn't deal a lot with a whole lot of things, but just his, his last uh, little bit of ministry. All right, so let's, uh, let's read John chapter 6, verses 35, or 25 to 35, then we'll go back and just make, make those couple points. And when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? So it's almost like they, they knew he was there. They get over there, and they're like, hey, when did you get here? We just happened to be here. Well, no, they didn't just happen to be there. But they're like, hey, Jesus, when did you get here? And he answered them back and said, most assuredly, I say to you, you seek me not because you saw the signs, but because you ate of the loaves and were filled. Do not labor for the food which perishes but for the food which endures to everlasting life, which the Son of Man will give you, because God the Father has set his seal on him. Verse 27. Did we miss 27? Oh. Then they said to him, What shall we do that we may work the works of God? Jesus answered, uh, All right. Okay. I'm sorry. Go back. Go to 28. My bad. All right. I'm just going to read from the Bible. All right, I messed the guys up. That was my fault. Verse 28 says, Then he said to him, they said to him, What shall we do that we may work the works of God? Jesus answered and said to them, 
This is the work of God that you believe in him who he sent. Therefore they said to him, What sign will you perform then that we may see it and believe you? What work will you do? Our fathers ate the manna in the desert. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Then Jesus said to them, Most assuredly I say to you, Moses did not give you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Then they said to him, Lord, give us this bread always. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. So here's, here's the first I am statement. John 6, 35, Jesus says, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. So Jesus makes a statement. He says, I am the bread of life. Statement about himself, but it also comes with a promise for us. It says, he that comes to me shall never hunger and shall never thirst. So there's desire in you that Jesus can fill that no one else can. All right, so let's go to these first couple things. Number one, I want to talk about living bread, because really it's the most important. Of all these things, I think this is the most important. Living bread, verses 26 and 27. So right when they come to him, they say, you know, hey, what are you doing here, Jesus? You know, what's going on? And, and, and really, Jesus reads their mail. Jesus exposes the motive behind why they're there. Because they show up and like, hey, you know, hey, Messiah, we're here for you. God bless you. Uh, but he, he actually reveals and exposes the reason they're there. He said, most assuredly, I say to you, you seek me not because you saw the signs, but because you ate the loaves and were filled. He said, you're not here for the miraculous things that I do. You're not here for a relationship with me. You're not here to get to know me. You're here for what I can give you. And before we cast too many stones, I think a lot of people, Christians, non-believers today, are seeking Jesus for the benefit that they can get out of Him. That we go to Jesus to see what we can get from Him instead of the relationship we can have with Him. So we seek Him for what we can get from Him instead of the relationship that we can have with Him. Now I want to tell you that when you pursue Jesus, there's benefits that will come along with that. That's a fact. When you pursue Jesus, there will be benefits. But the benefits can never be the object or the purpose of pursuing Jesus. You should be pursuing Jesus for who He is. The benefits will come. They'll happen. They're a, they're, let's call them a byproduct of your relationship with Him. Fruit will happen. Things will happen. Good things will happen. But they're never the reason that we seek Jesus. And He says, don't labor for the food which perishes. So we have two things here. So Jesus is really trying to draw their attention from the natural, physical realm and bring it over to the spiritual realm. He says, don't, don't uh, labor or don't work for the food that perishes, but for the food which endures to everlasting life, which the Son of Man will give you. So he says there's two types of food here. There's food that perishes, and there's food that endures. And I like to call these, you ever hear the term shelf life? Right? Any preppers in here? No, no, oh, Jamie admits to it. I wouldn't admit to it. No, I'm just kidding. 
No, it's okay. You're a prepper. If you're a prepper, you better figure out what the shelf life is of something, right? So we have shelf life. He says there's food that perishes. Eventually, all food perishes, right? I don't know of any food that doesn't perish. Matter of fact, shelf life is the period of time during which a material may be stored and remain suitable for use. So if you look on a box and it says Best Buy 2025, you know, it's probably good to let it till 2027, 2028, right? You know, you, you can use it beyond that. I mean, there's things, though, like milk, when they say good until May 10th, you, you better go by that because it's probably going to be bad. My kids love to do this to me. My daughter the other day, she's like, and, and I, I, I figured it out because I can almost see right through her motives. And if she's watching, she'll know what I'm going to say. Hey, Dad, wouldn't you like some of this great chocolate milk to go with your, your chocolate chip cookies? And she's trying to, and she never serves me milk, right? <laughs> So by the mere fact that she's trying to serve me milk, I said, let me take a look at that. Like, ah. I, and he poured out, and he goes, good blunk, good blunk, I like, ah. She goes, I said, why would you do that? She goes, well, I tasted it, and I wanted you to taste it too. <laughs> I like, and I love you too, baby. Ah, things spoil. Some things days, you, you get fruit. We just dumped off half our, half our strawberries today. You buy these great, luscious strawberries at Martin's, and about three days later, they got fungus growing on them. Like, shelf life is just a few days. I did look up, and, and you guys will probably know this, that do, do prep and things like that. Pasta lasts 30 years. Now, now the, the box may not say that, but you can actually use pasta, some certain beans, 30 years. So, but at the end of the day, every natural food has a shelf life. It might be days, it might be weeks, months, years, but it eventually perishes. Jesus said, I don't want you to pursue the natural realm. I don't want you to pursue the material realm. I don't want you to pursue the physical realm because everything in that realm will eventually end. What I want you to pursue is the spirit realm. I want you to pursue eternal life, everlasting life. I want you to pursue the food that leads to everlasting life. So a lot of times we, we throw this term everlasting life around. Well, what is everlasting life? Everlasting life is not living forever. Now, it includes living forever, but everlasting life is not living forever. You know how I know that? Because everybody's going to live forever somewhere, just at a different residence, a different address. You might live forever with Jesus. You might live forever without Jesus. I don't recommend it. Not a good choice. But everybody will live forever. Eternal life does not start the day you pass away from this earth. Eternal life starts the day that you begin your relationship with Jesus. Jesus said in John chapter 17, verse 3, when he's praying to the Father, right before he goes to the cross, he says this, he says, and this is, he defines it for us, and this is eternal life. And I put in parentheses zoe, I'm going to talk about that in a minute. He said, this is eternal life, zoe, that they may know you. Now that word know is the Greek word gnosko, which means to know by experience. It's experiential knowledge. It's knowledge that's birthed out of relationship. It actually was the word that, that was used to describe in Jewish culture sexual relations between a man and a woman. 
So this is intimacy. This is relationship. He said, this is eternal life, that they may know you, that they may have a relationship with you, that they may experientially grow in their life with you, the only true God in Jesus Christ whom you have sent. So Jesus says eternal life begins the day that you start your relationship with him. That's eternal life. Not way down the road somewhere. In the Greek, there's three words for life. Now, we just have one word for life. Life means, you know, we don't have this life and that life. We just have life. We have life. Matter of fact, when I ate my breakfast this morning, I ate life. You know, cinnamon life is the best. That, that's it. That's where it's at, cinnamon life. If you never had cinnamon life in like 30 years, go get you some. It's good stuff. So there's three words in the Greek, and the reason I want to point this out is because a lot of times we, we read over the word life without the understanding that there's a difference in, in Greek writing. There's three words. One, zoe. That's the word that Jesus is using here. The other one is suke, and you look at it, you might say, well, it looks like psych. Uh, and the last one is bios, which a lot of times we say is bios. So you have zoe, suke, and bios. And just to make it very simple, Zoe pertains to the spirit realm, your spirit man. Suke pertains to your soulish man. Remember, you're a spirit, you possess a soul, and that soul and spirit live in a physical body. So the, if you think of suke, we get the word psychology, the study of the mind. has to do with your soulish man. Bios is where we get the word, anyone want to guess it? Biology, the study of life. So they have these three words. They have uh, zoe. Now, zoe, zoology doesn't come from zoe. So don't say, I got it figured. No, that's not it. That's a study of animal uh, classes. So zoe, the spirit realm, suke, the, the soulish realm, your mind, will, and emotion, and bios, the physical realm. And the reason I want to point that out is because too often we try to fill a zoe need with a bios solution or a suke solution. See, a zoe need can never be filled with a bios solution. What do you mean? You might have a zoe need for peace in your life. You may have had hurt in the past. You might have shame. You might have emotional distress. You might have issues and hurts and pains that you're dealing with, and you need the peace that only the Holy Spirit can bring. But what do we do? We try to go out and fill that Zoe need with a bios solution. Whether it be uh, maybe we go out and, 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 and fill that need with food, maybe we fill that need with alcohol. Maybe we fill that need with drugs. Maybe we fill that need with cutting. Well, at the end of the day, all of these things have a shelf life. That cut will heal. The fullness you experience from the food will go away. The high that you get on the drugs will fade. Right? Why do they call it faded? That wasn't by accident. Or if you're, if, if you're really a student, it's cross-faded, right? Drunk and high at the same time. Come on, am I, what is this? You guys got to know what I'm talking about. We don't know. We've repented from all that, Pastor. 
I've never done that. No matter what you try to put into that Zoe need, if it's a bio solution, it has a shelf life. It will leave you wanting. It will fade, it will diminish, it will cease, and you'll be left hungry again. You might have a bios, you might have a Zoe need for love. How do we fill that? Oh, let me go get me some. Let me go have a one-night stand. What's the shelf life of a one-night stand? Ha <laughs> ha, one night! I knew you guys were on it. That's the question of the day. What's the shelf life for a one-night stand? One night. Because when you wake up the next day and you find yourself in a coyote ugly situation, now you guys know what that is, right? That girl was so ugly, she was asleep on my arm, and I had to chew my arm off so I didn't wake her up. Cody ugly. She was a 2 at 10 and a 10 at 2. Right? No. At 10 p.m. when I was sober, she was a, she was a darn, she was a solid 2. By 2 a.m., she was looking pretty fine. shelf life. Jesus says, quit chasing the shelf life. It'll leave you empty every time. I want you to pursue the food that leads to eternal, everlasting relationship life. It's the only one that will satisfy. It's the only one that will never, ever, ever leave you hungry. Here's the deal. I'll give you a money-back guarantee. Try Jesus for 30 days. If you're hungry, I'll give your money back. Well, it didn't cost you anything, so I'm, I'm pretty, I'm okay on that. Try Jesus. Try Jesus. All right, number two. Speaking bread. Speaking bread. Our fathers ate the manna in the desert, as it is written, he gave them bread from heaven. We're going to look at this verse in Exodus 16 in a minute. And then also Deuteronomy 8.3. It says, he gave them, they're quoting from the Old Testament, he gave them bread from heaven. Now Jesus actually calls them, uh, calls out here, he actually says that's not true. So Jesus said to them, most assuredly, I say to you, we didn't call him not true, but he clarifies a little bit. So they said, they gave, he gave them bread from heaven. Jesus said to them, most assuredly I say to you, Moses did not give you the bread from heaven. So he puts a definite article in front of it. So there's bread from heaven, and then there's the bread from heaven. Jesus says, I'm the bread from heaven. I say to you, Moses did not give you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. So they point out this thing about manna. And, and if you remember, manna in the Old Testament, it's a small, remember the children of Israel, they're grumbling. They say, let us go back to, let us go back to Egypt. You brought us out here to die. We had nothing to eat. And Jesus says, okay, Moses, or, or God says, Moses, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to rain bread from heaven. 
And they're going to go out every day, and it's going to be on the ground. It's these little white wafers. They taste like, like honey wafers. Kind of like if I, if I maybe could, maybe like a honey graham cracker, right, but white. And, and they would appear every morning, and they'd go out and collect them. And Jesus is saying here, he said, that was, that was bread from heaven, but it wasn't the bread from heaven. And although it was bread from heaven, it does point to me, and there is something in there that speaks about me. So let's go back and look at what that is. So in Deut- or Exodus 16, 4, it says, The Lord said to Moses, I will rain down bread from heaven for you, and here's what I want. So what do we do with this bread? So they had to go out, and every day they had to collect bread. And they had to collect enough to eat for the day. And if they tried to collect too much, if they kept it till the next day, the Bible says that it would stink and it would grow worms. The exception to this was is that on, the, on Friday, the sixth day, they'd collect twice as much because he didn't want them working on the Sabbath. So they'd collect a double portion on Friday that they would have for Saturday Sabbath. But I want to point this out, as the people are to go out each day and gather enough for that day. In this way, I will test them and see whether they will follow my instructions. All right, so for 40 years, every day, 365 days a year, they go out and they collect this stuff. And at the end of 40 years, before they go into the promised land, Moses does a little recap in Deuteronomy of what, what they went through. So Deuteronomy 8, he's going to say, okay, why did we do this every day? It said that he, speaking of God, fed you with manna, which you did not know. Well, the reason they didn't know it is because actually the the name manna means what is it. They're going out there collecting it. What is it? I don't know. What is it? What is it? What is it? I don't know. That was how they got the name for it. He says, with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. So he says, the reason I had you collect manna every day was so that you would know that man doesn't live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. John 1.1 tells us, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So we know that manna points to Jesus. Jesus is and was and will be the Word of God. John 1.14 says, And the Word became flesh. So the very Word of God becomes flesh. But I want to point out here that, that the thing with the manna is they were to get some every day. There was manna every day. That there was enough for that day. So when Jesus is teaching His disciples how to pray, what does He say? Give us this day our daily bread. And if you read Luke's version, it says, give us each day our daily bread. Matthew says this day, Luke says each day. Same thing. Give us this day our daily bread. God has a word for you every day. I want you to know that. God has a word for you every day, but you got to be in the word. Don't wait till Sunday to get your word from God. God has a word for you every day. I saw Risa reposted something on her Facebook page. Risa, are you here? Well, it might have been yesterday. It said something like, the word is supposed to be daily bread, 
not cake that we eat on special occasions. I like that. It's daily bread. Your soul man, your spirit man needs nourished every day. God has a word for you every day. Think about the Bible. Now the Bible is the record of God's written word, or God's spoken word. So people say, well, I don't know about that Bible, it's got errors in it. Well, first of all, this is not, don't shoot me, this is not the Word of God. This is a written record of the Word of God. So, might it have a couple errors over the thousands of years of translation? It might. But I can tell you this, if it has errors in it, it doesn't have as many errors in it as you do. And it should never be you full of errors translating the Bible. The Bible should be translating you. One author. God. Forty writers. Don't ever say there were forty authors. There was one author. Forty writers. Sixty-six books. Over a period of 1,500 years. 1,189 chapters, 31,102 verses, and don't tell me one of them's not for you. You could read a verse a day for 85 years till you had to start over. And I can tell you this, I could read the same verse 10 times and get 10 different things out of it. So don't say, well, I read the Bible and I didn't get nothing from it. you got to read the Word until the Word speaks to you. God has a word for you every day. Number three, healing bread. This, we didn't read this, but Jesus goes on to say, now let me just say in context, I realize he's talking about feeding on him in the spiritual realm. And he says some things now that really a lot of people listening to him at the time, remember, 20,000 people were gathered to hear him teach the day before. These people, I don't know if all of them, some of them, most of them, they follow him to Capernaum. He's talking to them again in the synagogue, and after he makes this statement, most of them just, it says they followed him no more because they couldn't handle it. And he even looks at the twelve and he says, you guys going to leave too? Peter says, no, Lord, you're the one that carries the word of eternal life. You're the Christ. You've got nowhere to go but you. But he says something here that sounds like cannibalism, and it was obviously very offensive. I like that Jesus wasn't worried about offending people. Right? He said, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no place in me. I really feel like Jesus was more concerned with the quality of his followers than the quantity. And so if I say some offensive things sometimes, I'm going to apologize in advance. But I'm concerned about your quality. I want you to develop. I want you to mature. I want you to grow in the Lord and become all He has designed you and created you to be. If that's one person, ten people, or a hundred thousand, it doesn't matter. 
But he says something here. Remember, this is one year before the Last Supper. So I can't help but think that Jesus wasn't foreshadowing what he would say to his very disciples, the same 12 he's speaking to right there, what he's going to say to them a year from now when they're sitting around the table. And he breaks the bread. And in Luke chapter 22, verse 19, he says he took the bread, gave thanks, broke it, and gave it to them saying, this is my body which is given for you. I can't help but believe he didn't think about that and know that there would become a time a year from now when he would sacrifice everything. Go back to back the previous slide. I want to read through that verse. He says, I'm the living bread which came down from heaven. If anyone eats this bread, he will live forever. The bread I give is my flesh. The bread I give is my flesh. That he gave his body. In Luke 22, he says, he broke it and gave it to them. Paul, the Apostle Paul in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 says the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed took bread and when he had given thanks he broke it. And he said, take ye, this is my body which is broken for you. If you're out there chasing those boss solutions, solutions for your Zoe need, they will break you. They will leave you broken and a mess. But I want to tell you that Jesus took his body and he broke his body so that he could meet every one of your needs. That he was broken so that you could be restored. All those other things will leave you broke. Jesus came to make you whole. So before we take communion, I want to ask you this. Go and get your cups out. I told you the most important of those three was living bread. So I want to ask you a question. Have you tried Jesus? Have you tasted and seen that the Lord, He is good. So you might have chased, been chasing, or planning on chasing whatever in life to fill that need, but Jesus is the only one who can do it. So I want to ask you today, if you've never asked Jesus into your heart, if you've never asked Jesus to become Lord of your life, there's no better time than right now. So I'm not going to ask you to come up. I'm just going to ask you, if that's you, I just want to pray for you. Just... I'd like you to wave your hand. If you're in here, just put your hand up. If you've never asked Jesus into your heart and you want to do that, I see a hand. Anybody else? I see another hand back here. If you're online, give us a hand wave. Give us a thumbs up. Say, hey, I want to ask Jesus into my heart. So if that's you, I'm just going to pray a simple prayer. And here's what the Bible tells us. It said, if you truly believe in your heart that God brought Jesus back from the dead, and you declare and proclaim that Jesus is Lord of your life, it says you're, you're saved. 
You're a new creation. You're a, you're a new person. Everything old is gone. Everything new comes to be. Let me just pray this with you right now. Father, I acknowledge that I am a sinner. I acknowledge that I've been chasing things, fleshly things, earthly things, things that perish. And Lord, I know that you're the only food, you're the only bread that gives eternal life. So Jesus, right now, I receive, I receive from you. I receive forgiveness of every sin I've ever committed. I receive you into my heart. I put my faith and trust in you. And according to your word, I'm now yours. In Jesus' name, amen. If you did that for the first time, or you rededicated your life to the Lord, we want to connect with you. Let us know. We've got a Bible for you. The best thing you can do is get into the word, speaking bread. Let God's word speak to you. And then one thing that Jesus instituted on, on the last night, it said that when he gathered with his disciples, that he broke bread. And the reason I call it healing bread is because we have two elements. Communion is two elements. We have the, the juice or the cup, and we have the bread, uh, which represents the body of Jesus. So we have the bread representing the body of Jesus and the juice representing the blood of Jesus. And Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 says this. You know, he says there's only one reason. He gives one reason why believers are sick, are weak, and some have even died premature. He said because you do not discern the body of the Lord. It says this in 1 Corinthians 11. He says, For he who drinks, for he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner. Now, first I want to tell you that it's, it's never the person who's unworthy. Jesus has made you worthy. So don't ever come to the table and think, I'm not worthy to partake. You are. You've accepted Jesus. He's washed you whiter than snow. You're worthy because he made you that way. This is talking about the manner in which you partake. Not discerning the Lord's body. For this reason, many are weak and sick among you, and many sleep or have died premature. So Paul says, by, by revelation of Jesus, who told this to him, he said that the reason many are sick, many are weak, and many have died premature is for not discerning the body of Jesus which discern means to discriminate or to separate or make a distinction. So he said, don't just take the bread and the cup all as one big ball of wax. Take time and discern and separate the two. Because the body of Jesus, he says, my body was broken for you. His broken body is for your healing. It's for your physical healing, your mental healing. That his broken body, he took upon him 39 stripes took upon him every sickness, every disease that's ever been known to man, and he brought it into his body. Because his body was broken, your body can be made whole. Here's what I want to do today. I want you to think, if you're dealing, maybe it's a mental illness, maybe it's depression, maybe it's stress, maybe it's physical sickness, maybe it's fear of getting COVID, whatever it is. 
I want you to take this bread and I want you to break it. I want you to break it in your hand. I want you to say, by his stripes, I am healed. Your broken body, Jesus, makes my body whole. Let's eat. open up your cup. The Apostle Paul said, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. And that because Jesus' blood was shed, your sins can be and are and always will be completely forgiven. He made a one-time payment for sin. He doesn't go in and like in the Old Testament, every year after year after year after die, he died once for all sin for all time. I want you to know that you're forgiven. So say this, Jesus, by your blood, I am totally forgiven. I have right standing before the Father. I'm innocent, guiltless, and faultless. Let's drink. All right, we're going to close out worship team is going to play a song. Anybody, if you want prayer, need prayer, uh, we're available to do that. Uh, if you want, don't forget, you can uh, give your offering on the way out and uh, just dismiss at your leisure, but we're going to close with some worship.